this is a pivotal day in the history of our church. And I think days like these, you want to just take a moment and commemorate the hard work that everyone has done to make days like this possible. We wouldn't have this opportunity to even get this building or take the next big step of faith if people hadn't already taken these steps of faith with, with us in the past. So I just get nostalgic. Um, here's a picture of our launch team. This group of people got together back in 2009. This was before we had even had one service. There was no Harvest Palace. Uh, most of them had never even heard me preach before. They just knew that we were going to start this new church and that they could be a part of it. Um, and we had nothing. We had no money. We didn't even have a worship leader. Mark hadn't come along yet. We just had a lot of faith, trusting the Lord led us here to do this. And all these people worked so hard to start ministries, to get the team growing. Uh, and we had 23 to start. By the time we launched, we had 80 people before we even had church who were working to make this church happen. We also had to raise $85,000 to just even start the church. And lo and behold, God was faithful. We hit that number. So here's a picture from our first service uh, after Mark came along. Here he is leading worship. Uh, Yes, those are stained glass windows. This was our first building that we had for the whole first year. Uh, That was a church near Moraine Valley College. They had pews and a pipe organ. Can you believe it? So we're kind of going back to our roots Um, And then after a year, we outgrew that building, so we had to pick the whole church up and move it to Stag High School. And it required that more people serve and that we start new ministries. Uh, And so check this out. Here is the team of people before we ever had church at Stag, here on this stage trying to figure out how to set things up. We had equipment that we had never used before. We didn't know how to do anything. So we were there, I think this was a Saturday over the summer, just trying to figure out how all this new stuff worked. And Here's the next picture of our tech team learning some new equipment. I love that picture. (laughs) There's Brad, the the soundboard, tripled in size. And so uh, there they are trying to figure out how to do that. Uh, But at every step, as the Lord prompted us to take a step of faith, uh, to give generously so that the next chapter can begin, when we've done it, he's come through and we've seen more lives changed and we've made better disciples. So here we are at a pivotal day again. And, and this uh, now marks the new high watermark in our devotion to the Lord. Uh, this is the most sacrifice we've made as a church. This is the biggest step we've taken as a church. Uh, this is it. And I just want to say I'm glad that whether you've come here to harvest in the last month or six months or whatever, you get to be a part of this step. Maybe you weren't there before the church launched, but here you are. You get to be part of this story. You get to help us build the future of discipleship here, and lives will be changed forever because here we are. We took this step of faith. I love the thought that a year from now we could have people who had never even heard of Harvest Palace before raise their hand up and say, yeah, yeah, I saw you guys move in and I decided to come, and now guess what's going on in my marriage? Guess what's going on in my family? Uh, I love that that's going to happen. I know that many of you leading up to this morning have given generously to this, and I just want to thank you for that. I know you did it to the Lord, but I know you trust us to be good stewards of this. I don't know the amounts, but I've heard stories of people selling jewelry, people giving everything in their savings account, people rating their retirement, doing whatever they can to help this go forward. I just want you to know that I know you've made sacrifices, and God knows you've made sacrifices, and we are going to do our very best to steward those all for the Lord. I asked myself, what, what message from Jesus would be the perfect fit for this day? Like, what should I preach on that would really just hit the spot? And I, I wanted to encourage everyone, because we've taken this step of faith, and we're wondering how it's going to turn out. 
I think the best message that Jesus could preach to us right now is the story of the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents. In a sentence, here's what Jesus has to say to us today through this story. Advance my mission and I'll reward you forever. Listen, I want you to hear this. Those of you who are, you've done it. You've walked out by faith. You're throwing your soul into it. Listen, advance my mission, I'll bless you forever. That's what Jesus has for you today. Let's pray and then we'll get into that together. Father in heaven, thank you for how you encourage us at moments when we've taken steps that make the future uncertain. Uh, Lord, we just want to turn our ears toward you, turn our eyes toward you to hear from you, Lord Jesus. Speak to us for your glory in your name. Amen. Okay, turn your Bibles to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, and uh, as you get there, let me give you a little context here. The disciples didn't always listen very closely to Jesus. Maybe you've got kids and they don't always listen to every word you say. The disciples didn't listen to every word Jesus said. He kept trying to tell them, hey, I'm going to die, and they wouldn't listen. Then he kept trying to say, after I die, I'm going to come back, but then I'm going to go up to heaven. They didn't even listen to that. So he came up with different creative ways to prepare them for what's about to happen. He's going to die. He's going to be thrown in a tomb. He's going to come back. Then he's going to go away for a long time. He's going to go right up to heaven for a long time. So what he did was he shared what's called a parable. This parable uses familiar real-life characters uh, to describe what's about to happen. So Matthew 25, verse 14, says this. For it, meaning the future of the kingdom, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, then he went away. So listen, here's what it's going to be like. There's this wealthy businessman, and I mean he is loaded. Like, back then he would be a millionaire. Today he'd be a billionaire. This is a loaded, rich merchant who's got everything that his heart has ever desired because he he has made it big. He's rich, and he's got servants who he owns and who do his will, all right? When I think of rich, I think of my daughter Cassie because we've played Monopoly a few times in our house, and she has killed me. I haven't won yet. She won. Check this out. This is her after she won the Monopoly game with all of her money and all of her property, after she put her old man in the poorhouse, and there I was with nothing. Uh, And, uh, in fact, in between turns, she, she wouldn't roll right away. We'd be like, Cassie, come on, roll. Come on, roll. Because she'd be counting her money after every turn. And she looked at me after I said, come on, roll the dice. And she said, Dad, you can't rush rich. <sighs> Jesus tells this story about this rich guy. He uses the rich, wealthy businessman who has more than he could ever dream to portray himself. The rich businessman is Jesus in this story. Jesus is the owner. Jesus is the person who possesses the wealth. This owner is going to go on a journey, and he's going to be away for a long time. What it means is Jesus, who is the wealthy man who has all of this stuff, calls his servants, the exact word is slaves, calls his slaves close by name. Mike, come here. All right, come here. Get over here. Ken, all right, Jared. Uh, I've got stuff that I'm going to put you in charge of. Okay, I'm not going to put you in charge of the same amount of stuff. You get, you know, five, you get two, you get one. All right, I'm going to go away for a long time, but I'm going to put you in charge of my things. 
This whole story is illustrating for you what the Christian life is all about. It's illustrating for you what this life is all about. Here's the first thing you can write down. He's trusting me with his belongings. Advance my mission, I'll reward you forever. You want that? First thing you need to realize, he's trusting me with his belongings. He's the one who owns. He's the master. He's the one who initiates. He calls me by name to himself. That's a portrayal of salvation. He didn't call, you couldn't be saved. He called you unto himself. Then he gave you some responsibilities. He's trusting me with his belongings. You know the feeling, don't you? When you trust your child with something. For me, my kids are a little younger. So when Jared says, can I borrow your iPad? Yes, but sit on the couch. Don't get up. Put it on your lap. Don't fight with your sister. Don't break it. Like, all right, I'm trusting you with my iPad, but you need to follow these directives, right? Or or maybe your child says, can I borrow your phone? Maybe your teenager says, can I borrow the car? Or off to college they go and you say, hey, we're paying a lot of money for this education. We're trusting you to, okay, maybe you know the feeling of what it's like to trust someone else with your stuff. Jesus trusts us with his things. Therefore, this whole life, the word is stewardship. It's a stewardship. Everything in this world and all that you are and all that you have and do is a stewardship. It's all his. He's the one who's given it to you. In this story, a talent is actually a pretty substantial trust. Do you know a talent, one talent, would have weighed 50 to 75 pounds. It's an amount of money. It's not like a giant coin. It's like an amount of money. Um, One talent was 6,000 denarii, which was, get this, 20 years wages. What have you made over the last 20 years? Add it all up, bring it to someone you know, and say, can you take care of this for me for a while? I'll be back. That's what Jesus says. So the guy who got one got half a million dollars. So fortune back then. The guy who got two was in charge of about a million. The guy who got five was in charge of over two and a half million dollars of the master's assets. All right, big trust, big trust. Jesus is portrayed as the wealthy businessman. The slaves, the servants, guess who they are? You and me. Uh, The church. People who would name Christ as Lord and who would profess to serve him. Um, it's the church. What is it that Jesus has trusted us with? Well, here's a list. You can write these down first. He's the one who's given you length of life, life itself. Your life came from his breath. If he chose to not bring you into this world, you couldn't have caused your own life. God has given you your life. Psalm 139, 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. It's mind-boggling. God decided to give you life. God decided how much life to give you. He is sovereign over your life. He held out his hand and gave it to you as a gift. It's his to give. Do you know that your new life in Christ is also a gift? 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Hey, it's not my life. It's his. He's given it to me. It's his stuff. I'm his stuff. I'm his. He's trusting me with his belongings. Here's the second one. The gospel is a trust. 
He's given us the good news of the gospel as a trust. It's his, and he's given it to us. 1 Thessalonians 2, 3-4 says this, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to, get this, to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. Hey, hey, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Go and make disciples. The gospel is his gift. It's a free gift of eternal life. He's given it to the church. He's entrusted it to us. It's his. The next one is spiritual gifts. Length of life, the gospel, spiritual gifts. Write that down. Spiritual gifts. Uh, When you are saved, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, takes up residence in your life. When he gets inside of you, uh, he brings with him some abilities or some passions um, that make you unique. So you're one of a kind. And he's put those abilities or passions um, into you so that you can serve a unique purpose in his kingdom. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, As each has received a gift, you've received it, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Uh, He's made you who you are in Christ. And he's the one who has enabled you to serve him faithfully. The next one, jot this down, authority to lead. It's his. All authority is his. But there are some people in our church who he's given authority to lead. But here's the thing. All authority is his. So whatever authority you get to lead a ministry or, or as an elder or as a deacon or whatever, he's given it to you. It's his to give. He owns it. You're just operating something that belongs to him. Titus 1.7 says this, For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Uh, Hey, God gave me this responsibility. Uh, He didn't look down and make me a pastor or or make me an elder or make me a ministry leader because I'm so awesome. He didn't look down and say, man, that person, you put him in front of a crowd and he can talk. He didn't say, wow, look at that person and how witty they are, humorous they are. We should put them in children's ministry. He's the one who decides who gets the ability to lead in his church. Here's the last one. Uh, Wealth and possessions. Wealth and possessions. My life, the gospel, my gifts, my authority, my wealth, my possessions, they're all his. They're all his. Wait a minute. I worked real hard in college to pass that test. Uh, You know how how much overtime I put in to get that promotion? What do you mean it's his? It's mine. Okay. Psalm 50, verses 10 to 12 says this. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. Get this. For the world and its fullness are mine. The world and its fullness are mine. God owns everything. He is the designer, the builder. He holds the deed on everything, every creature, every person. Understanding that fundamentally God owns everything revolutionizes your view on this life. Because you're a steward entrusted with his things. And Jesus says, if you serve my purposes, I'll reward you forever. You are answerable to a holy and awesome God who owns everything, has a plan, and expects you to fall in line with it. 1 Timothy 6.17 says this, As for the rich in this present age, okay, whenever you see the word rich in the Bible, raise up your hand. Go ahead, raise up your hand. Come on now. Don't leave me hanging. 
You're it. Okay, you're it. By the standard of history, every one of us qualifies as rich when the Bible talks to the rich. Go back in time with your iPhone, okay? And, and even the, the least of your perks in this culture, and people will be like, wow, you must be a god. Uh, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. It ultimately all came from his design, his build. He's the one who opened his hand and allowed you to have his stuff. It's his. You don't make it his. You don't give it back to him. It is his. You just are temporarily allowed to steward his stuff for now. Jesus says to his servants, come on over here. I'm going on a journey. I'm going to give you five. I'm going to give you two. I'm going to give you one. Likewise, God has given you everything you have. Here you go. You get this. You get that. Everybody's got something different. Everyone is someone different. Here you go. Here you go. And he's away for a while. The master has gone on a trip. But here's the second point. While he's gone, he expects me to diligently expand his kingdom agenda. That's number two. He's trusting me with his belongings, but while he's gone, he expects me to diligently expand his kingdom agenda. Look at verse 16. It says in verse 16, well, it says, then he went away. The master went away. Verse 16, he who had received the five talents, get this, went at once. Right away, this is the overachiever. I'm getting to work. No time to waste. Master's gone, and I'm going to be out there doing what I need to do to, to move his mission forward. Uh, he who had the, received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And guess what? He made five talents more. Hey, God put him in charge of $2.5 million portfolio, and guess what he did? He turned it into $5 million. All right? Listen, if Charles Schwab turns your $2.5 into $5 million, you give Charles Schwab a hug. Okay, you give your financial advisor a great big bear hug if he doubles what you give him. And this person, this slave, this servant, he's got nothing of his own, takes all God's stuff and what he does with it results in twice what he was entrusted with. That's an example to you and to me. This is the good servant. It says uh, in verse 17, so also he who had the two talents made two talents more. So this is a guy who was entrusted with less. He, didn't, he didn't, wasn't in charge, you know, as, as much as the five guy, but he had two, and what did he, he didn't complain. He was like, oh, what do you get five for? I only get two. You know, just try and give your kids different allowances and see how that goes, okay? <laughs> you got five and I got two. He wasn't mopey. He went out and did the work, and he turned two into four. All right, million becomes two million. So the two, first two servants were rocking it. Um, third servant, not so good. It says in verse 18, but he who had received the one talent, it's about $500,000, went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Hid his master's money. Just took it, dug a hole, put, you know, today in the equivalent of today's day's wages, you know, boom, 20 years wages, $500,000 in the hole. Just leave it there. Like, he didn't squander it. He didn't steal it. He just didn't do anything for the master with it. He didn't care to do anything for the master. He just stuck it in the ground. He expects me to diligently expand his kingdom agenda. We're supposed to see that the first two did well, 
even though they had entrusted with different things, the third guy were wondering what's going to happen to him. Have you ever worked at a job where the boss has left you alone for a little while? (laughs) See, this is where Jesus leaves the disciples alone for a while to see how things go. It didn't go so well the first week after the resurrection. I worked at McDonald's when I was in high school, and every night, like, the real boss would go home, and they'd leave the college students in charge, like the kind of the sub-supervisors. And college students, supervising high school students, that's just got disaster written all over it. I mean, we had milkshake fights. We chased each other around with ice cream cones, you know, unicorn. Uh, I mean, we, it, was, it got There was one time where I was handing a bag out the drive-thru window to a customer, and a cheeseburger came whizzing through the window. Bam! Slapped right on the glass. As I was handing this woman her order, and then the whole cheeseburger fell down, and just the pickles were, like, slowly falling. And I was like, there you go. Have a nice night, ma'am. <laughs> we'd set up boxes in the back storeroom as bunkers, and we'd, like, throw ketchup packets at each other. I mean, there'd be, like, it would look like blood all on the walls, you know, like, like, uh, like Mick Carnage or something. Like, there was just all this fighting. And Why? Because the boss went away. <laughs> we got in trouble. While the boss is away, the servants are expected to diligently expand his kingdom agenda. But I love that it says... He gave different responsibilities to different servants. And it says he did it according to his ability. See, you're not going to be put in charge of what I'm going to be put in charge of. And um, different people are put in charge of different things and different amounts of things. Okay, so he knows what you're capable of and he has a plan for what you're going to be, you know. He's the one who decides. Um, Check this out. This is a picture of the senior pastor retreat for Harvest a few weeks ago. Um, All the guys in this room are in charge of churches. And they have the harvest name, and they're somewhere in the country or in the world. Um, And each man, let me tell you this, each man is different. Not one of those pastors is put together the same way. They all have unique gifts and passions and dreams, and each one of them leads a different church. In makeup, different kinds of people in different churches, more urban, it's more rural, more suburban. Uh, different, Different churches are different sizes. Some are little baby churches, 40 people, you know, struggling to get by. Some have... 3,000 people coming. Um, God put different pastors in charge of different things, and he gave them different gifts. I mean, even at our own church, man, we have uh, four staff pastors, me and three others, and man, our pastors are different. I mean, they are different. Pastor Mark is so amazing when it comes to music and creativity, and we're so blessed with what he does up here in bringing unique stage designs and music setups and, and special services, and it's a gift. God made him that way. Uh, And uh, Pastor Brandon, I mean, he's all heart. He's like a champion of compassion. And he sees people that other people walk right past. Uh, And he's he's uniquely gifted in that. Uh, Pastor Jeremy, he is like a man of conviction, deep conviction. And he wants people to know what we believe and why we believe it. And that's blessing our students right now as they get ready for life. But listen, if we put Jeremy in charge of worship next week, you guys wouldn't come back. All right, if we put Brandon in charge of women's ministry, there would be no women's ministry, (laughs) okay? Different gifts, different leaders leading that ministry. God doesn't want you to be anybody other than you. God designed you to be you. He designed you to serve a special, unique purpose. Different responsibilities according to their ability, Jesus said. And he wants you to find out how you can serve his purposes for you in this life. Here's a few ways, 
places where you can serve God's purposes. You can write this down first, in your family. You can either choose to serve or not to serve God's purposes in your family. Dads in particular, listen, God's looking to you to take spiritual initiative in your home, to be the senior pastor of your dinner table, to have spiritual conversations and teach your kids to pray and learn their devotions. I don't know what your family setup is. Here's a picture. Maybe you got, I didn't get one of these, but here's, you know, whatever your family is, however many kids or pets or, you know, immediate family, extended family, that's a place where you can serve God's purpose in your life. The next one is in your profession. You can write that down. In your profession. Uh, yes, you have a boss, an earthly boss, but when you do your job with the skills God provided, when you boast in Him, when you do it for His smile, for His approval, when you are salt and light, a witness to the coworkers that you have that I can't reach on a weekly basis, you're honoring Him. You're serving His purpose. And if you serve His purpose, He'll reward you forever. Uh, you know, wherever you work, this guy, whatever he's doing, wherever he finds himself. Go ahead, throw the picture up there. Wherever you work, doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter who you see, doesn't matter what your skill, uh, here, anywhere, whatever you do, you can serve God's purpose for your profession. Uh, The next one is in your personal finances. You can choose to honor God's plan. You can choose to serve his purpose with your finances. Um, You can honor him with your first fruits. You can trust him to provide. Um, You know, here's a picture. You sit down and do the bills. How's it all going to work out? We don't know, but you know what? We're going to honor the Lord and we're going to trust him to provide. The Bible has very clear things to say about money, right? You cannot serve both, both. You you can't even try. It's like The Bachelor. You've got one rose to give. Who's it going to go to? Who do you love, money or God? Hmm, you've got to make a choice. God says you can't pick both. And you've made a choice. And God wants that choice to be him in your personal finances, and last, in your personal ministry, in your family, in your profession, in your personal finances, in your personal ministry. Uh, He wants you to work for Christ. He wants you to serve an eternal purpose at your church, shouldering weekly kingdom responsibilities so that lives can be changed forever. Uh, Here's a picture of guys putting their skills to work uh, leading up to Good Friday, Uh, just building a crate wall that ended up turning into an awesome piece of scenery up here that we used for a special service. And there they are, swinging hammers and drilling, nailing stuff down, uh, you know, dreaming up. And and that blessed the Lord because they were working for Christ. You can serve God's purposes in your family, in your profession, in your personal finances, in your ministry. But listen, be the good servant who went at once and started putting everything he had been given to the work to serve the uh, Lord's purposes. What this means is you roll your sleeves. You start growing personally so that you can start helping others grow. Basically, he wants you to make disciples to reach the world through your home, your church, through everywhere. The good servants lived faithful to the master's plan. His agenda is my agenda. In the New Testament elsewhere, it says, To live is Christ. To die is gain. All that I do adding it all up, is aimed at furthering God's purposes in me and through me. Do you know what it means to glorify God? God's glory is what emanates from Him. You can't see God and live. So the way you experience God is is God's got glory. He shows forth His excellencies. He does it in many different ways, but His glory is proof He's been somewhere or evidence He's done something. That's God's glory. So when you glorify God, that means you become proof 
he's been somewhere. Your life becomes evidence he's done something in you and through you. When it says in the Bible that you're supposed to, you were created for his glory, it means people see you and what you do and how you live, and it's proof of God's power and it's evidence of his presence. That's why you're here. That's the only reason you're here. Jesus said to Mary, who was fretting, or sitting at his feet, and Martha, who was fretting around, he said, Martha, I've added up the number of things in your life that are truly eternally important, and that number came to one, and that one is me, to live as Christ. So he's trusting me with his belongings. He expects me to diligently expand his kingdom agenda. Here's the next one. He will closely evaluate my fruitfulness. He will closely evaluate my fruitfulness. Now, as this story rolls on, Jesus tries to tell his listeners how it's going to end for these three guys. He's, hey, this is how it started, and here's how it's going to end. I love commercials that do this. One of my favorite commercials is the, uh, the DirecTV commercial. Have you seen that? Where it starts with a guy on his couch who's angry about cable, and then it ends. Have you seen it? Check this out. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. I love that because basically what it's doing is it's saying, here's how it starts, here's how it's going to end. And Jesus is doing the same thing. He's saying, if you start here, you know, he's basically saying this. He's saying, if your master puts you in charge of stuff and then he goes away and then you choose to do this, you're going to end of story. And he's either saying, do that because it's going to end well, or he's saying, don't do that because you'll be in a roadside ditch. He's giving you fair warning of how your life is going to end. He will closely evaluate your fruitfulness. Read verse, uh, check out verse 19. Verse 19 says, now after a long time. See, the disciples had to get ready for that. We have to get ready for that. Where is this coming of his? Where is this Jesus? After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Hey, listen. We know how this story is going to end. The master is going to return. Do you know what he just said to them? Christ is coming back. I'm going to go away for a while, but I will come back. We've got the last chapter of the story in the book of Revelation. The, The trumpet is going to sound. The dead are going to be raised. Every living being will be brought before the judgment seat of Christ. The king is coming back. Are you ready? He put you in charge of his stuff. He went away on a, large, on a long journey. Then he came back. Are you ready? Listen, this is the question that is burning through to your heart this morning. It's the question God wants you to have to answer. I've given you life. I've given you everything. I've put you in charge of my things for a short time. Your kids are mine. Your job is mine. Everything's mine. I'm coming back. You'll stand before me. And I will closely evaluate your fruitfulness. Are you ready? He's giving you fair warning. The king returns. The master, I mean, returns. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. 
And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you've delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. Here's one of the most famous verses in the New Testament. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Wow. That's the most important moment of your existence he just told you about. It's the moment when you stand before your creator. And he tells you his evaluation. Don't you want to hear that? He said it here in advance because he wants you to know you're going to hear it. See, the Bible says he's able to make us appear in his presence unashamed and with great joy. No shame, all joy. That's what he wants for you. That's what he wants for you. He will closely evaluate your fruitfulness, but he wants you to be ready. He's coming back. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were good. You were faithful towards my plan. You advanced my purposes. You were my servant. You were my servant. Hey, if we manage life wisely, if we want what's in the best interest of our master, if we're effective, if we're profitable, if we move things forward, if we stay focused on his priorities, if we live to live as Christ, then to die as gain. Our spiritual growth, our service pleases him. And here he expresses love. Here he demonstrates loyalty because we've expressed love because we've demonstrated loyalty. This is the end. Have you been watching the Winter Olympics? Have you seen them at all? The USA didn't get off to a great start. One of our figure skaters had a pretty bad fall. But thankfully, when they started handing out the medals on Saturday, guess who got the first gold medal of the whole Olympics? USA. It was for our snowboarder. Uh, what's his name? I wrote it down. His name is... I don't know if all snowboarders have interesting names, but he's Sage Kotzenberg. Here's a picture. Sage Kotzenberg. Wow. I, I wouldn't survive that. But there he is, flying through the air, doing twists and turns and spins and rolls. And, and, uh, and guess what? There's a panel of judges who are watching his every move. Now, what do you think Sage would do if he got to the bottom of the hill after he worked his tail off to get to the Olympics, do his best, and then the judges were like, Oh, we, we weren't watching. Were you watching? I, can you do that again? We weren't paying very careful attention. Aren't there always judge controversies at every Olympics? You know, they got a bias. They weren't watching carefully. They had their favorite. I'm shocked at how many people think God is not going to closely evaluate their lives. I'm shocked. I'm shocked at how people functionally live as if Judgment Day will be easier than the DMV. They put more preparation into getting the right forms of ID so they can go get their driver's license sticker. And then when they're getting ready for appearing before a holy God, eh, it's going to be quick. It's going to be painless. He's going to let me in. Pretty good guy. I'm shocked. Um, Olympic judges watch everything. Closely scrutinize every movement. Did she land on her the top of her skate, the side of her skate, which way did her foot turn after she landed? Close scrutiny. That's what God's going to do. Only his records are full and comprehensive, and he has everything recorded. And just the moment you think, well, then I'm hung. 
I know everything I've done in life. I'm going to walk in front of God and he's going to take a big hammer and smash me. Jesus is like, well done. Good and faithful servant. He will closely evaluate my fruitfulness. He wants you to be encouraged because you know the end in advance, but he wants you to be warned. Now listen, here's what happens. Well done, he says to the first guy. He says, here, I've made five talents more. Verse 21, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you've delivered me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Same praise. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. But verse 24, He who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. Next time you have an annual review, sit across the table from your boss and just say, you scoundrel, I didn't want to make another dollar for you because you're ruthless and crooked and what would be in it for me? You'd just take it all anyway. So here, I just kept it safe for you. How would the master respond? Verse 26, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You're wicked and you're slothful. You're wicked because you're not serving me. You're slothful because you're not moving my kingdom forward. You're wicked and you're slothful. You knew that I reap where I've not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own interest, meaning you have no excuse. If you knew me, it would have been in your best interest to expand my stuff so that you didn't get in trouble. You just didn't care. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. <laughs> now, now, guy who turned 2.5 million into five now gets another half million dollars. Give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a warning Jesus is giving. It's a warning to the church because this person claimed to be a servant of the master. And here's the deal. There are some people who claim to be Christians who are not. One way we will know they're not truly Christians is they've done nothing to further the master's kingdom. They've done nothing. They don't see their life as from the Lord. They don't take care of it as if they're going to give an account to him. They're not getting ready for that. They don't care about that. You know, they, don't, they don't see the master's um, plan as something worth throwing themselves at. They don't work for Christ. They don't worship Christ. They don't walk with Christ. They don't help others to do those things either. They might show up to church. They might come every now and then. They may even throw a few nickels in the plate. But the point is, at the heart, they have a problem with the master. And what they're saying is, I will not serve this man. I will not serve this man. I will do nothing to get ready for his return. I will do the least. And Jesus is giving you a warning. The warning is that if we as a church... And as if we as individuals choose not to further the master's plan for our lives, judgment awaits. 
This is the portrayal of someone who claimed to be a Christian being thrown in hell because they were a fraud. It's a given in this story that true disciples will actively support the gospel mission. They'll worship Christ at heart. They'll be a good and faithful servant. They'll help expand everything they've been given so that the master's mission can move forward. And Jesus says, it's such an encouraging word, he says, advance my mission, I'll reward you forever. This is the fourth point, it's the best news, jot this down. He will greatly reward my faithfulness. He's trusting me with his belongings. He expects me to diligently expand his kingdom agenda. He'll closely evaluate my fruitfulness, and he will greatly reward my faithfulness. This is such good news. He wants you to know the end. Who gets rewarded? Who gets rewarded? Well, it says right here. He says, I have put you in charge of little. You have been faithful with little. I will put you in charge of much. It's the person who is faithful with whatever God has given them in this life. It's not the size of the task. It's the quality of your faithfulness. It's, it's the little things that you've done right that will lead to the things in eternity that you get to do forever. We don't know exactly what heaven's going to be like because it's going to be amazing. But we know that it will share many similarities with this life. It's not just going to be this weird cloud city where we're all like this, you know, like mist of energy. Uh, it seems like it's going to be a recreated, tangible world, but somehow the spiritual realm comes down and fuses with that, which means you'll have a place you live. You'll have things you do. You'll have responsibilities. Uh, you will be able to reign with him forever. Don't ask me how if you work in the nursery at Harvest Palace and you are faithful at loving those kids and changing those diapers that it affects what you'll be doing forever. Jesus says it does. Don't ask me how if you serve on the road crew and show up at 6.30 a.m. and work your tail off in the cold that that somehow determines how you're going to live forever. It does. It does. Whatever you give to the Lord here through your time, through your treasure, through your talent, He will greatly reward your faithfulness. It will be worth it in the end. He says, enter into the joy of your master. Do you know the first thing that happens in heaven is a giant banquet? You like that? All of our foodies are like, amen. It's called the wedding supper of the lamb. Imagine just if every person at Harvest Palace went to the same place to eat at one time. And then imagine if every person believer from the state of Illinois arrived. And then imagine if every believer from the entire country came at the same time for a giant feast. Then imagine if people from every country in the entire world showed up and were all at the same place at the same time. Then imagine the doors open up again and every believer from history walks in. That's how heaven starts. It's a pretty sweet way for heaven to start. It's a banquet. Enter into the joy of your master. This is what God wants for you. God wants you to enter into the joy of heaven, to know the favor of the master forever, not to be cast out into the darkness like the unfaithful servant who hated the master and wouldn't serve him in this life. That's why the Bible says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. He's worth it. He's worth it in this life. He's worth it in the next. The bottom line is this sermon's about how your life is going to end. Jesus wants you to get ready. He wants you to know today how your life will end. We always want to know how something's going to end, right? How, how, how's the movie going to end? Avengers, where'd the Hulk go? What's going to happen with Loki? You know, how's it going to end? How's it going to end? We want to know how the Super Bowl is going to end, and we found that out in the first quarter, right? How's that going to end? Uh-oh, <laughs> it's a bad day for Manning. You know, how's the trial going to end? Did OJ do it? Did he not? Oh, the glove doesn't fit? What's going to happen? How's it going to end? How's it going to end? Hey, how's your life going to end? How's it going to end? Do you know? 
Jesus wants you to know. See, he wants you to hear it before you hear it. He wants you to hear it now. So you can be ready for that day. I know many people come to church each week. Your soul is not ready to go into the next life. He can demand it of you tonight. You're not guaranteed another moment. Your life is his to give or to take. He's brought you here so you can hear this now. Serve my purposes here and I'll reward you forever. It begins when you truly in your heart make him your master, your Lord, your Savior. When in your heart you decide to serve him for the rest of your life. I want to give you a chance right now to pray. And in your own heart to say to the Lord Jesus, I know you've given me everything. I know you're trusting me to live for you. I know you're coming back. I want to get ready for that moment right now. Let's all close our eyes. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for sharing this story. You predicted the future for your disciples, but you also described for us what the Christian life would be like. And Lord, I know, I believe in my heart that there are some here today who are afraid of judgment because they know they're not right with you. I pray that you would help them, Lord, to act on what they know, to realize that the Lord Jesus came into this world, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, rose again, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and now has eternal life as a free gift to give. The riches of heaven given to the servants on earth. And Father, if if anyone here is ready to call upon Jesus as Master and Lord, may they pray along with me in their own hearts saying this, Lord Jesus, forgive me, for I have treated you horribly. I have not honored you in my heart. I have not done anything with the life you've given me. I am not ready for your return. But right now, I call upon you as Savior and Lord. I ask you, to enable me to serve you faithfully. I want to know my sins have been forgiven. I want to know that my shame has been washed away. I want to know that when you return, I'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I bring nothing to you. You give everything to me. Save me. Put me to work. Father, I pray that you would just give those who've called out to you confidence that you will never leave them, you will never forsake them, Show them, Lord, that you have a wonderful plan to help them serve you now and to know you forever. And then one day when we all gather in the joy of the Master, the banquet of paradise, we will again proclaim the excellencies of our Master Jesus Christ. Praise you for your grace. In your name we pray. Amen.